Welcome, everyone. This is the Virtually Church Podcast, a podcast dedicated to thinking more deeply about the differences and values between church and technology. I am Taylor Mason, and I'm hosting this podcast alongside Jordan Mason and Jeremy Hall. Jordan, Jeremy, how are you doing today? Doing very well. I'm doing great. I'm thrilled to be with y'all again. This week, we're going to spend some time not only reflecting on our past conversations, but talking a little bit more about technology and whether or not it's neutral. So today's going to, going to be a little bit mix of, uh, of that. What I wanted to do, and if you have listened to episode two and episode three, uh, we would inc- if you have not yet, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. We spoke with Dr. Jeff Bishop on the myth that technology is neutral. And in episode three, we talked with Dr. David Gushy about how we can establish our values as a church through the idea of the kingdom of God. In episode three, we got into a discussion with David Gushy about uh, technology. And he brought up that from his view, uh, technology is neutral. He used an example of the radio and how the radio was often used for the fireside chats during World War II, but also uh, was used as a technology um, from the Nazis to, and you know, transmit their propaganda. propaganda. Correct. And we thought it was important to bring this back up because our podcast is really dedicated to thinking about the differences in values between church and technology. So I think we would argue against that to some degree to say that, no, actually technology has its own inherent values. It is, it has something separate from what we invoke in that. And to go really deep into detail, you need to go back and listen to episode two. But Jordan, can we just talk a little bit more about that um, and and why we think that that's so important? Well, I think this question really gets to the heart of why we're doing this podcast, right? Because if if technology is a neutral tool, then this podcast is about how do we take this neutral tool and input our values to get our values back out on the other side, right? Unaffected it's neutral. Or if technology is not neutral, then this podcast is about how do we hold on to our values in light of the different values that technology has that might be pulling us away. And so I really think that changes um, really the crux of the issue. And um, I just think that Christian ethicists in the past have not necessarily been the best at analyzing technology. Like we just haven't really I mean, part of the my frustration with a lot of Christian ethics of technology is that it comes along behind uh, technologies after they've already been created and implemented. Hmm. And um, basically, they a lot of Christians do the same thing that secular um, technology assessments do, which is, what are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? Add them together. And if the benefits outweigh the drawbacks, then we do it. Hmm. And that's assuming that, you know, technology is a neutral tool. And what we know from philosophers of technology and what I've learned from from Jeff Bishop is that um, that's not ever going to get you uh, a critical assessment of technology because you're already assuming the very values that are inherent in the technology when you assess it that way. Um, Does that make sense to you or what other questions? So you're saying... 
so you're saying if we think technology is neutral, then any form of technology that comes my way, if I can use it to communicate or to connect or to uh, implement what I want to do as a church. So let's use being a pastor. If I want to connect with my church members and I'm thinking technology is neutral, then really any form of technology that will allow me to connect with those church members is great. And as long as I use it for good, then it the, it is good. It is good. We should use it. We should embrace it. We should uh, just go along with it. And it's great. It's And in fact, it's probably even a benefit from what we used to be doing. Right. And I think a lot, probably a lot of listeners to some degree, maybe, and also a, a lot of places that we've been reading about what how we can be innovating during this pandemic is taking that stand, is taking that viewpoint. But what we're trying to say as ministers is if the technology has its own values, we need to know that and identify that and make sure that whatever technology we're using to communicate isn't jeopardizing the values that we have as a church through, you know, the what it means to be a kingdom of God. Because maybe some technology takes away values that we find important, like embodiment. Maybe some forms of technology uh, make us forget or only see worship as a transmission of information or allows us not to be fully present in a situation. And I think us, our podcast is trying to uh, educate people on that and start to ask people to think more deeply. You might disagree to some areas, but we want you to at least engage in this idea in this thought. So can we play with um, the radio? Does that make sense, Jeremy? Minute? Yeah. Can we play with the radio for a minute? Cause you brought up the radio. Yeah. I think the way that, cause all of us have ethical backgrounds. We've all done ethics training. Um, Jordan is far ahead of us now. She's <laughs> gone and working on that piled higher and deeper. Um, but I, the question that most ethicists ask about things like the radio is what are you saying through it? Um, the ethicist Correct. wants to ask questions about not the tech, but what was said. And that's what they're trying to evaluate would be the behavior and the conduct and the virtue of and the character of the individual who's engaging with it. But the Which question, is important, right? right? Like what you say through it still is important. Because you can be FDR with the radio or you can be... Adolf Hitler with the radio. But the question that we're asking is what does the radio do to what you're saying into it? Because it is not a, a perfect conduit. You're passing those words through a filter and the radio creates an entirely new world for both the user and the recipient. Correct. So as we use it, it uses us for its purposes as much as we use it for our purposes. And, and so Absolutely. when you preach through into a microphone and it comes out a radio for someone else, it is a completely different experience than a sermon had in a communal worship experience. It, it becomes a new thing because of the filter of that technology. Right. And one example of that is generality versus particularity. And we talked about this with Jeff, that through the radio, your message that otherwise would just be to a particular local church audience is now generalized to the entire world. Mm. 
And so already by changing your audience, you've changed your message. And so, and that's just one example of what technology, mass technologies do. Um, I mean, other things could be said about big data and other like big technologies like that is the generalizability changes um, the content. Yeah, I've, I've had conversations with uh, our pastor here at, at Kirkwood, and we're going to bring him on next episode, episode number five, about preaching and how he's, he's thinking, yeah, there's other people outside of our church that are listening in online. Jeremy, you mentioned you have a lot of people all throughout the country and in the world, you know, tuning in to some degree. But Matt's saying, I I could change the way that I preach to connect with people outside of the church. I could generalize. I could say things that make more sense, but I'm going to still use the language and the culture of my community in my sermons. And if you're not a part of that, you may, you might miss something you might not be able to connect with it because there's a value in speaking into the community that you're a part of. Um, but the technology of live streaming can, if you're not aware of that value, can easily make you say, hey, we need to change the way we preach so that we connect with all these people and that they're not confused when I say something or share a story that uh, has institutional knowledge, but you wouldn't understand if you were on the outside. And that's that the temptation sense? that is offered to us by the technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was having a conversation with my dad the other day about this um, because we, in our first episode, had a conversation about preaching and how um, preaching online is a lot, is, is the transformation of information and something is lost in the act of preaching when we're not physically present. And he brought up, I think, a valid um, argument to, well, what about if we're reading a book? Can't the Holy Spirit touch you through reading of a book? And, and I was like, well, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, that's true. Um, he's like, isn't that just kind of like the transmission of a sermon, like listening it online? I've been touched when I've listened to a sermon online before. I said, yeah, me too. It's a very good question. But I kind of came back, and I don't know how strong this argument is. I said, I can listen to the symphony on the radio and hear the exact same concert than I would if I was in the concert hall. And it would be moving, and it would be beautiful, and I'm sure I would enjoy it. But when I walk into that concert hall with the presence of bodies around me and the, the building itself is emphasizing something important is about to happen in the wall of music that not only just hits my ears, but reverber- reverberates my body, that experience, I'm still hearing the same concert that I would be on the radio, but that placement is different. Like there is still something inherently um, different. I'm sure we can debate whether or not you know, is that better or worse, but there's still something different about me being in that room, in that concert hall when I'm hearing an orchestra versus hearing it while I'm in a car. The radio allows me to listen to that concert while I'm driving down the road. Yeah. But think about the possibility for distraction. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you going to sit there for two hours? I don't know, two hours, whatever it takes for a symphony, like in your car for two hours, like probably not. Like you're going to get out of the car. You're going to turn it off to talk to your kids. You're going to do whatever. So the and that's what that it's in. values. Yeah. Yeah. The radio allows me to not only 
listen to the symphony, but I can also travel to your house while I listen to the symphony. Yeah. And I mean, not to broaden this too much, but if we talk about Zoom, the fact that we can turn off our self-view cameras, I mean, I joked about this before, like I love to do that because I feel like in conversation, when you're face to face with somebody, you don't have to look at yourself. Like think about how that changes your conversation when you're analyzing your own image. Um, But at the same time, it also makes it possible for people to participate in a church, um, I don't know, like Sunday school class in their pajamas, like laying in bed and nobody has to know. I think since we're we're talking about work, I think of uh, my Sunday school class where I, my teachers are teaching and I've hopped on in the morning just to check in and share some announcements. And my Sunday school teacher's camera is on, but none of my kids' cameras are on. Mm-hmm. Like all of, like all 10 of them are black. And I even spoke with uh, a few of them last week and they were like, yeah, you know, it's actually kind of nice because I can attend Sunday school, but I, I can wake up at 925 roll over to my bed, turn my phone on, hop on Zoom, keep my camera off, and I can just lay there during Sunday school, like at 9.30. And, you know, the convenience, the value of convenience and accessibility is part of Zoom, right? Zoom is, is created so that it's more convenient to meet people through distances. And, but at the same time, that value can allow people to not turn their cameras on or fully be present, but instead just kind of like lay there in a bed versus having to take the time to actually get out of your house, drive down the road and make a sacrifice or a decision from, okay, I'm not going to stay home, but instead I'm going to be somewhere and be present in a conversation. And that's, that is a still maybe a value of the, contemporary church that's something i was thinking about a thing that we say all the time a uh, come as you are sort of idea Uh, churches put on their website that you don't have to wear a suit that's a thing i see a lot now Mm -hmm. yeah like we have people in there uh in flip-flops and shorts (laughs) and we have people in three-piece suits you are welcome (laughs) as you are that yeah that's one of the things that we've been saying is important to us for a while and Zoom has allowed us to do it in a mm. different way, in different space. What do we think of that? I mean, I think it's great to some degree. I think uh, David Gushy made a point last episode that through Zoom, um, people are able to connect. Um, some people are opening up and being more honest and feel less threatened in conversations over zoom, which I think is, um, that value of being honest and transparent and vulnerable is something that I believe is a value of the church too. Um, when I hear that though, another thought comes to mind of how sad it makes me that the church hasn't created that space when we're in person Mm -hmm. or people don't feel comfortable to do that in person. And I'm just, I want to think more deeply if I stick with our theme of the podcast about, well, does that mean we should just do things on zoom? So people stay vulnerable, or maybe we need to reassess like, why can't people be vulnerable and feel comfortable in person? Like the most human form of connection of physically being next to each other. Why can't we share vulnerable things 
uh, why do we have to do it through a computer to feel vulnerable? I think that's a deep question um, to be had too. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if it's if easier on Zoom, maybe we've cheapened that experience and it's supposed to be hard. Mm. Yeah, that's something that I've thought about is maybe it actually is difficult to show up to a church community where there are people who are different than you. Maybe there are people who disagree with you. And in a Sunday school class, to speak your mind honestly or talk about how you are honestly um, with seeing their body language and the way they respond to you and those little uh, tiny nonverbal cues, like that can be very difficult, I think, and very vulnerable. And on Zoom, we don't have to see that. We might see people's faces, but there's a whole lot of nonverbal communication that we're missing out on, on Zoom, right? That makes it, I think, easier. And maybe that is hard. I mean, maybe it's supposed to be hard. Maybe. I, I think um, I, I think it is to a degree because part of our values as a church here at Kirkwood Baptist Church is to live in the tension of different political views and different ideas of theology. And it is much more difficult to have a conversation with someone with a different political view than yours in person than it is on Zoom, where if they're getting on a rant that you don't agree with or makes you angry, you can just mute them mm-hmm. on Zoom. You can just hit the mute or you, or you can, can leave or you can leave the meeting um, and not have to deal with it. And that convenience of a meeting is a value of Zoom. Like Zoom created this structure. Zoom created a mute button on Zoom so you could mute someone when they're talking. It's like that physical is a selective value. listening. Yeah. <laughs> and um, now we do have the decision whether or not to mute someone or if you're a host, you can mute whoever you want. But that I think the work of what it means to be the church or to be a Christian or to live in the world that is messy, um, there's a value in the difficulty of it. Like it, it's supposed to be kind of hard. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be the easiest thing that we do. Um, being a Christian is difficult. Um, it's not the easiest thing that you can do in the world. Well, it's practice, right? For the church is a microcosm of, of the the world redeemed. So it's, it's practice for how do we do this large scale and reconcile ourselves uh, globally. I think, you know, as we practice in these small ways with our church community and it's hard and we learn how to do it and we, we make it more possible physically for our bodies to be in those spaces of discomfort so that when we're, you know, with people across the world that we disagree with, that we have some practice. I let, so as we record this, it is a Thursday um, yesterday was a Wednesday. Thank you very much. Um, I went to college for eight years for that. Um, Good job. <laughs> um, yesterday was Wednesday, and I had the privilege of leading our youth group. And the, we've got that kid that every youth group has that's very energetic. That's the polite way of putting it. We have the disruptive kid. Every youth group has one. Taylor's thinking of a name. Um <laughs> Every youth group has a disruptive kid. And I, when he became energetic and disruptive, I didn't think I just muted him. Yeah. And I'm realizing that I didn't even think about it. 
I just <laughs> did it because Zoom demanded it. The technology mm-hmm. told me to do that by putting a mute button on him. So when <laughs> his square turned yellow and the mute button appeared, wow! I didn't even think. I just used the technology. Mm. So, Jordan, I know this this concept, the philosophy of technology is a big concept. It's not really familiar with, I mean, I wasn't really familiar with it until you started doing your PhD program and you're diving into ethics and all this other ideas. I'm sure uh, we will share on our Facebook page some resources. Do you have any resources or like who are some of the people that talk about this philosophy of technology? Obviously, Dr. Jeff Bishop is someone. Um, who else, so that if listeners want to dive a little deeper into this idea, can they start reading or yeah. listening to? So it's hard because a lot of this stuff is not super accessible if you are not an academic. So I will say with a little bit of a caveat there that, mm. you know, I don't even understand a lot of the stuff that that I read. I mean, philosophers, especially continental philosophers, are so hard to read. <laughs> Do they even understand themselves? Like, I just wonder sometimes. Um, But um, Heidegger, so Martin Heidegger is the typical person that you think of with the philosophy of technology. Um, Michel Foucault is another one. Um, Bernard Stiegler is a big one. Um, He is particularly difficult to read. I've read two of his books and can barely tell you what they say. Worse than Heidegger? Worse than Heidegger, believe it or not. Heidegger was uh, German, right? So German. it's been trans. Okay. Um, Stiegler is um, French, right? Um, there is a little book by Ernst Kapp uh, called uh, something elements. We can post it. I'll yeah. link to it. It's elements in a philosophy of technology or something like that. And it's the small little book that was written um, like before a lot of this, I mean, it's early, early work. And um, he talks a lot about like projection, like the projection of the, of bodily organs into Mm. our technology so like a hammer like an extension of the arm or an axe is an extension of the hand and so how we develop these technologies based on projection of our bodies um and that's that's a pretty short easier to read cool there's also like uh have you read uh jacques alol he was my introduction into this world yes marshall mccullen is pretty accessible what was that name? Marshall McCullen. The medium Marshall is the message McCullen. guy. Oh, wow. These, I haven't read any of these. So um, I'm with you listeners. If you have not <laughs> read any of these either. Um, so with that, with that argument, with that lens that we are in, right, that there are values that are embedded in technology itself. And we uh, have values as a church and we want to think more deeply about that. Jeremy, how have you, in your context, been thinking deeply about the differences between the values of church and technology? Well, um, let, let me tell you. How have you been navigating that world? Yeah, I'm going to talk about our worship service because I think that reveals our uh, virtues, and our values, and how we want people to engage. Uh, we are a strange little community. We value our diversity. Our congregation speaks multiple languages, um, even our leadership 
is diverse. Our diaconate has international voices on it. Um, mm. Part of how we structure our worship service when we meet together, when things were back, scary quotes, uh, normal. When things were normal, <laughs> um, worship leadership is divided up amongst uh, lay leaders. We have the, that Baptist image of the worship leader and the preacher emerge from the congregation mm. and then return to it. Um, we don't leave our clergy on the platform, things like that. Um, and so each week there's always a male voice and a female voice. There's always, uh, we try to bring in diversity of ages and perspectives so that we see our congregation in the leadership. So each element of our service is led. And sometimes that means that our experience can feel a touch disjointed. There's moments of silence in it. It's not production value isn't mm. one of the things that we particularly value in our experience, but rather uh, we engage scripture around seven times in our service, things like that. And so when we took that to an online model and we, we made our decision hastily, uh, it was a Thursday when we switched. So on yeah, Thursday, we, we, we pretty much everyone has had to make that decision yeah. hastily. Yeah. We sit on a Thursday, yep, like everyone else, uh, around like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We we probably shouldn't meet this Sunday. <laughs> yeah, uh, wh- what are we going to do? And, and so my first thought, ever, I think the, the first thought for most folks was, well, we'll just do our service into a camera with just no one here. Uh, but that didn't feel honest to who we mm. are because our service is so about the the congregation flowing in and out of that visual space of leadership. People coming to the pulpit and sitting down and everyone, we don't have a pulpit and a lectern. Everyone goes to the same podium to lead um, yeah. as long as that, may, like you know. Um, and so what we did was we constructed it's its own website. Um, it could be fun for all for us to evaluate each other's online experiences. That could be interesting. <laughs> See what it reveals and what it obscures. Um, I like your terminology. Hey, hey. If you go <laughs> to our website, if you go to townview.org, the, you click a thing that says worship with us online. Um, and it's it's set up as a stations experience. And so it's, we've been described in our worship experience as eclectic to the point of schizophrenia. Um, (laughs) Not the most polite thing, but not necessarily wrong. And so that eclecticness is reflected there. There are moments uh, where we share in music. Some of that is lifted YouTube videos. We put lyrics or we find lyric videos of songs Mm -hmm. that our congregation knows or songs that we don't. There's no limit to what we can pull off in virtual space. So we're led by massive choirs or professional (laughs) bands some weeks, but also our own musically gifted people offer musical meditations or lead songs with lyrics that roll across the screen so that you can engage. The segments that we'd normally have are there. We have laity read a prayer. A laity reads um, the Lord's Prayer. Laity mm. reads scripture. Um, we've also developed, and so there's 
quiet. There's space in between that. There are sections that are meant to be read, sections that are meant to be heard, and sections that are meant to be watched. And there are sections that uh, we call them pauses that we've developed for our online experience that I'm hoping carry back into the sanctuary uh, where there might be a discussion question or a guided meditation or a moment of curiosity um, or a moment of exposure where we offer something that's completely foreign to our tradition. Uh, Maybe we bring in um, a practice from a different uh, version of the Christian faith tradition, something Eastern, something Orthodox, uh, a prayer from a saint, something that is less familiar to us. Um, My congregation... Go ahead. Oh, when you guys were um, putting all that together, like, what were the conversations like? Were were you having deep, thoughtful conversations, or was it just let's be as creative as we can and um, let's throw it all together and put it together in a pot and see what happens? Well, a little, a little of both, honestly, because we did it fast. Something had to be out there. So the first Sunday, it looked like it was our bulletin. Our bulletin was on the screen, and you could roll through it and engage with each item on the list. But as we went, we talked through it. What do we want to communicate? How do we want this to feel? How do we want this to sound? Uh, Hmm. There are instructions to talk with someone in the room or call a friend and discuss this. Where have you done this this week? Sorts of things are in there. And so we started with the conversation of, okay, let's, how are we going to do church in front of, because we have streaming capabilities in our sanctuary. (laughs) Um, Our normal services streamed, Um, but it didn't feel like us. Uh, We said, and this sounds judgmental of people that are doing it, and that's not what I'm saying. It felt for us like we were playing church. We felt like if we could do our service without our people there, then our service needed to be completely reevaluated. Yeah. So it was about the difference between having an audience and having participation. Well, I don't know if audience is the right word, but congregation and having participation from them versus you just performing it in a way for a camera. Right. We felt like that if we performed it, it would turn the congregation into an audience. Right. And we desperately wanted to keep that from happening and knew that that was going to be the vulnerability of anything we watch on a screen because we've already been trained by screens what to do with them. Yep. And that, that, that's really, that's really cool. You, you had mentioned to me um, a while back about uh, Holy Week Mm -hmm. and Lent a little bit. Uh, Was there anything that your church did during that time that uh, was, creative um that embraced those values through the use of technology we attempted to that was a serious struggle because in baptist world holy week is weird Mm. Um, a lot of southern baptist churches or baptist churches in the south both of those baptist Mm -hmm. churches in the south and southern baptist churches are not the same thing no not Um, the same (laughs) but both of them share in the baptist tradition that if it knows anything knows it isn't catholic um, mm. that's one of their core values. We are not Catholic. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm technology buildings. One of the reasons why, if you look at Baptist churches built between the thirties and the sixties, there aren't a lot of crosses. They thought mm. it looked Catholic. 
Um, and they were, that's the thing that they wanted to be most clear through their communication was we are not Catholic. Not Catholic. Um, so Holy Week uh, is something that our Baptist church does do. Um, okay. We normally have a, we recognize talking through that whole season. We would do an Ash Wednesday. We would talk about Lent. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe have a Lenten series. Um and then in Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday are services that we've participated in. And those have both traditionally for us been experimental spaces since it's already um, outside of the norms of our tradition. Those are spaces that are accepted as experimental. So they've been, we've tried Taze style things and we've stripped the altar and we've um, uh, experimented with different modes of taking communion um, or different styles of preaching. Um, and so this year, we played with those again, um, but we did every day of Holy Week. Uh, Great Monday, Spy tu- Is it Spy Tuesday or is it Spy Wednesday? I, didn't, I don't know I that didn't know there was a Great Tuesday. Great Monday. Well, I know there's Tuesdays, but I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know a there was a Tuesday. name of a Tuesday on during Holy Week. Great Monday, Spy Tuesday. Holy Wednesday, uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy or Silent Saturday, Easter Sunday. Um, and so we engaged with each one of those in different mediums. Um, mm. We wrote a piece for uh, Great Monday. We, um, I published a monologue for Spy Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday had a, a written piece a reflection a back and forth sort of piece for the wednesday for or thursday for monday thursday very odd how do you do a communion service when you're separate and there's ways like uh last week uh david talked about his zoom sunday school class did communion through the zoom i presume Mm. he instituted it and people took their own element Mm -hmm. um we had a small condensed Monday Thursday service of just me and the other pastor. Um, and so the senior pastor and I served each other and that was the service. We did the institution. So, we did a brief monologue. We served each other. The screen went black. Okay. So they watched you serve each other, but they weren't necessarily taking at home. Right. We invited okay. them into our sacred space. Hmm. Um, yeah. For Good Friday, there was a, an online service. For Holy Saturday, I put the senior pastor in a closet, turned off the light, and videotaped him preaching <laughs> in a darkened closet. As an Episcopalian, I have to say that our Holy Saturday service is much better. Uh, I believe you. As a Baptist, I'd never done one before, so I put it's a pastor best, in a closet. It's the highest day of the liturgical year. What for what, you or what for the do tradition? You do? For the for the church, it's you tell the whole story of of uh, creation, redemption, history, in in those services. How did how did your church do that? I don't do remember, remember no. what we it's did. It's the best oh, thing I we do, do. remember it's better than yours. I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this year was strange. I think what we did was we streamed the cathedral. So I don't think my church, I have a very small church. I don't think that they did anything 
congregation right. level. I think we streamed from the cathedral, the Episcopal cathedral here. And all the different priests read through right. the scripture right. passages from Genesis all the way through. Yes. Yeah, so we had a program at home. Testament. I do remember now we lit candles. We had a program at home and we watched as different um, priests from across our diocese, like read the different passages live on Zoom. Yeah. So some things were not possible, but yeah. um, elements of it were possible. Okay. So Taylor, uh-huh. I'll ask you, how has your church been navigating through this? And uh, what decisions have you guys made? Um, talk about what you did for Holy Week as well. So our church have, we've been live streaming our worship service, uh, 1030 AM every Sunday. And we have a limit of 10 people that come in and we try to keep things separate. And our service is tweaked a little bit differently, but somewhat similar. I think one of the values we wanted to do at the beginning of this pandemic was everything was changing so drastically. Everyone's schedules, everyone was working from home that we wanted to create some form of normalcy. So we still wanted to meet the same time. We wanted to provide somewhat of the same service because in the midst of all the uncertainty, we don't know anything about this virus. We don't know if we're going back to work. We don't know if we can even go to the grocery store without dying. Um, <laughs> here is a service on Sunday morning at the same time where you can hold on to some normalcy in a way. We also decided to live stream it instead of record because we felt like the presence of, we, we can't physically be together, but if you're watching at 10.30 a.m., you know at the exact same time in space, right? In, in the exact same time, we are in the sanctuary worshiping with you. So there is a connection of we are currently together in this. We, we, we didn't pre-record it on a Wednesday and then post it for you to watch. And you, you, it seems like it's live, but in reality we're also in our pajamas on the couch, which some churches have done that. And some churches don't have the capability of live streaming. So that's one way that they have to do that. Absolutely. I'm not making a judgment call there, but for us, that was a value of ours as a church is we wanted to create some form of presence between our church members and us at the same time. We've now we're starting to begin the conversation of what a somewhat multi-stage reopening might be like. And one thing that I enjoyed uh, as ministers we had last week was this idea of, well, if we have some form of in-person, we're not going to be looking at the camera anymore. And we probably can't have a children's sermon because we're not going to ask the children to come down and gather around really close to each other, even if they're in the sanctuary. So maybe we don't do a children's sermon. And now if we're not addressing the camera directly, but we're addressing the congregation, maybe we don't need to record the in-person and have a separate record like live service for others. We've been having those conversations of how do we communicate? How do we establish some form of values, which I think has been interesting for go ahead. And I think one thing that I've heard you say, as you guys talk through this is how do we do this in a way that is completely inclusive if possible? And does that mean I mean, one radical solution is we don't open at all until everyone can come back together. But that's never been a reality. 
it, it hasn't, it That's hasn't. True. Yeah. There you're are right. homebound members and, and yeah. And the reason we started live streaming over a year and a half ago was for that purpose of homebound members. There's, and, there are churches. And I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. And, and I just, I, I want us to, we're going to, I, I hope we explore that a little bit more when we bring Matt on next week, because he's a senior pastor. I would love to hear his thoughts and connections about that topic, but go ahead, Jeremy. There are churches in Atlanta that have publicly made the statement that we will not meet in person again until the most vulnerable among us can join. That is a beautiful statement, and I recognize its intention, but that has never been their reality. Hmm. The immunocompromised should never be in that building with hundreds of other people. (laughs) That is always a bad choice. Yeah. And even beyond COVID, I mean, even if all of everybody was immune to COVID, those people still couldn't be with us for the flu or for other dangerous reasons. Yeah. Yeah. You have a good point there, Jeremy. And I think that that's a good point to say that that's never been the case. And churches have always been trying to find ways to address that, uh, you know, either by bringing communion to homebound members or, uh, you know, before COVID, we had a group that would cut up all the flowers that we would have that people would want at the altar or we would order. And then they would go and as they were doing their homebound visits, they would bring the flowers and put it in a nice little face for them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Creativity and honesty and finding a way to to expand seems like a better option than virtue signaling because that just makes we're making Mm. teams when your church goes back, when you start your phased process, now puts you on a team on a political spectrum. Mm. And I don't think that's good for the kingdom of God. Right. Yeah. The politicization of that decision is very dangerous because then you have, you know, people potentially, you know, oh, you're anti-science because you're getting together too soon or, you know, like these terms are not part of our our church terminology, like anti-science or politics, like these, these are just politics. Yeah. But there's, there's been a few things that for the youth group I have not done. So for example, uh, during the spring, we have our weekly meeting. I know a lot of churches will do it on Wednesday night. We do ours on Sunday nights. It's called Sunday night live SNL. And what I decided to do was live stream it through YouTube from my office and have my youth watch and communicate and participate through our group me app. So one reason I did that was I had a little bit more control. I didn't have to uh, juggle or try to mute. Like you were talking about Jeremy, like 12 kids yelling or trying to make fun or post different, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to post a really funny background of me. Like, on an island or whatever. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about that, but also I wanted some form of participation. So I used the group me app and we played games like trivia or we played I spy in my office and they would look, look on the TV and they would text in, but a, a value I wanted was still, how could I create the connect this physical connection? So, uh, one thing is my youth love fruit snacks from Sam's club. And they eat them up all the time. And I thought, well, if they win a game on YouTube Live, I'm going to mail it to them. And 
I'm, and, and then it gives me an excuse to write a note, but something physical in this whole virtual world is sent to them and they receive it. And it's been a really cool experience. But now I've decided to stop doing SNL. I was doing it for like 10 weeks or so. And I started to realize I'm getting burnout to a degree. You have to bring a lot of yourself to for an hour perform. I'm blessed with knowing how to play guitar. So I would play songs, we'd play games, I'd do a talk. But instead I've switched so that how can I safely meet face-to-face with my youth if possible, if families are comfortable, if youth are comfortable, so that I bring that physical presence, which I think is a value to my youth. So I've been running around for the past two or three weeks. Yesterday, I went hiking with a family. Another day, I went biking to a park and sat at two separate picnic tables and talked. And I decided not to do something through technology because I saw a value of in-personness, if that makes sense. Well, it really just highlights that sometimes you can't do both and that you as a minister, your time is limited. And that's never been more true than it is now because it seems like these technologies enable so much more. Mm. But then I think in reality, as you're pointing out, they also disable and they take time and they take a lot of effort. And um, you going around and face-to-face meeting with your youth takes time that you can't be on camera, right? Like, correct. It's not, it's kind of a myth that technology can enable us to be everywhere at once. Well, the, the, the last thing that I wanted to make note of, and Jeremy, maybe you've had these conversations too, is Kyle, our music minister, we've had a long discussion about youth choir and youth music. And, you know, singing right now is probably one of the most dangerous things according to what (laughs) studies have shown right now and what a strange world and kyle and i had a conversation and we just were we we were talking about this subject of values and technology and he's like it's really hard to lead a choir through zoom it just doesn't really (laughs) lend itself but it was already a little difficult to keep our students fully present during a choir rehearsal And if we were to use the medium of Zoom, for example, and everyone has their cameras off or like, can you just imagine how difficult it is to keep the attention and be present in the moment uh, virtually? And for Kyle and I, we thought this idea of fully being like being present and realizing how the music can transform us when you sing it and understanding the words is extremely important to choir and to youth choir that can't be replicated or those things will be lost if we were to do it virtually. So we've decided just not to do it. Although we have the capability of engaging and trying to lead youth choir through forms of technology, we realize we're losing out on something that's too important that we're not going to do it. And we're going to just lament the fact that this Yes. that we're not doing it. Let, let me tell you something. The, the, um, a phrase that I keep getting from people is, why don't we just... Yeah. It, it can be a really hard decision to justify. We're not going to do youth choir because it won't serve its purpose. Well, why don't we just get them on the Zoom and have them sing and we can send videos to the old people. I, I'm making stuff up. But the question of the technology is there. We have to use it. Why don't we just 
do an easy thing. Yeah. That's, that I, is a ghost that is haunting my ministry. The ghost mm. of just. And I think a lot of people are feeling that. Um, if you're a minister, I'm sure you're feeling that. And of all the pressures of, hey, here's all of these new resources you may never have known existed. And it will do all of the things that people are coming to you asking for. Well, I just want to quickly point out that that is when Jeff Bishop talks about the technological imaginary, that's what that is, is this invisible sense that any problem we have has a technological solution. Hmm. So if you can't do youth choir, you can figure out some platform will allow you to do youth choir, right? It's just maybe not Zoom, but like something out there. There has to be a choir app. There has to be a choir app. Or we'll make one. Or we'll make one. Absolutely. And that is... um, that is a, a driving force in technology. It doesn't have to be a driving force for our churches. And, you know, there's still been value of having Sunday school on Zoom. It hasn't been great. And I'm sure if, if this continues on for a lot longer, there's going to be some honest questions and conversations I'm going to have with my Sunday school teachers of maybe we need to do something different. Maybe we need to take a break. Maybe we need to do this. Or how else can we be? creative, but it is a temptation just to dive in and say, okay, now I just need to find something else that works better. Maybe we don't use Zoom, but we use something else. Uh, Maybe we don't use YouTube Live, but now this new thing has come out. That's a good thought. I just hope that we don't miss something when we're constantly looking for the next platform or the next solution is that we don't, that we don't miss something important that's happening right here, right now. And yeah, I think that would be my my worry. So we have a listener question. Michelle uh, wrote into us and asked, youth are getting Zoom tired. Jeremy and I, I think we both agree that we feel this. I'm Zoom exhausted. I, I know my youth are on Instagram, TikTok, etc., but getting them to connect on Zoom seems to be a no-go. What can I do? Jeremy, so this is, this is the same question that we keep asking. The technologies that we use, especially in social media, demand different kinds of content from us. Mm. Um, Instagram wants me to convince you that my, I'm more beautiful than you. Twitter wants me to convince you that I'm smarter than you. LinkedIn wants me to convince you that I'm more professional or more experienced than you. Mm-hmm. Facebook wants me to say I'm happier than you. Uh, <laughs> TikTok is I'm funnier than you. Yeah. Um, And all of these require very brief, explosive interactions. You, you fire and forget and you come back later and see what you hit. And that's how Mm -hmm. those work. And that's what we've trained our, look at me sound like an old person. This is how we've trained young people um, Mm -hmm. to engage through technology. All of their interactions are fire and forget and come back later and see what you hit. I like that that rhymes. It wasn't what I planned, but I'm happy about it. So Can we get you... that on a t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> um, so prolonged exposure to conversation through tech is exhausting. And I think that's because we haven't been trained to use it that way. Uh, mm. Sitting, I've sat in Zoom lectures that I desperately wanted to be in and I hated them. And we've gotten used to consuming in longer forms because of the popularity of things like podcasts. 
I, I listen to podcasts there, two and three hour long conversations, and I think there's great value in the drawn out nuanced of a long conversation, but I'm not used to having to actively listen and talk and participate and see my face in a little box like Jordan talked about. When I'm in those spaces, I catch myself staring at my stupid face. <laughs> uh, and that affects the way that I am present. Mm. A- and it's exhausting because it's a muscle that I haven't developed. And it's so... What's the word I'm looking for? I'm looking at myself and judging myself along with interacting with others. And I, th- I have a theory about movie stars. I have a theory about... TV stars and movie stars that we think they're beautiful because they're on a screen that demands we look at them. Mm. Uh, I think if you took any of us and put us in a TV show, we'd suddenly have people on Tumblr making fan accounts about us and Instagram saying that we're beautiful just because we're on a medium that demands that we are gazed upon. So now I am gazing upon my peers and looking at myself as an object upon which to be gazed. And it's exhausting because I, that's not an environment that I feel I belong in. That's Absolutely. my thought. That I, was not a solution. I have solution. nothing to add, but I love everything that you said. I would say, Michelle, that maybe finding more, well, finding other creative ways, more personal ways. I think what's happening in this technological world, in this virtual world of church, is that for some older adults or for adults in general, there's a way that they can connect on a more personal note. But if you can find ways, either one-on-one conversations through FaceTime, or you know, I would even suggest if you can socially distance yourself in a safe way, meeting with kids face-to-face. I have a lot of siblings in the youth group, so I can go and meet one family and see two or three kids. But what I've noticed is those interactions have been really meaningful for my students. And in fact, some of them are asking to do it again because this whole virtual world has made it difficult to, to connect in that way. But do that in a way that is comfortable with your parents or your students. I made sure I had a meeting with my parents ahead of time before I switched over the summer to this way of doing it. But it's been really meaningful. And, and also that has let my, each of my students know that they're personally valued in a specific way, like giving them that intentional time. And maybe you have some volunteers or you have some other people in your ministry that can do that and spread out some of the work because I know it's hard to hit every student or connect with every student in that way. So that would be a suggestion of mine. All right, let's move on to finding hope in the world or in church. Jeremy, we'll start with you. Is there anywhere that you're seeing hope in the world or within the church uh, today or this week? No. Um <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jordan. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I would say that I am actually hopeful looking at my social media uh, this week compared to um, before the pandemic. I don't know. I, I feel like, and maybe this is just in my bubble. I recognize that everybody's social media looks different, but um, I see a lot of my social media friends becoming more receptive to each other and wanting to take care of each other better. And I, it's so refreshing. It's been really hopeful to see um, a lot of the black voices in my social media speak up and the white voices stay silent and learn and um, just people being more tender, I think, with each other and more receptive. I 
I've been seeing hope in the siblings in my youth group. I'm seeing them connect and hang out more and grow closer because they don't have the opportunity to really do much else. So when I've connected with them or met with families one-on-one through like biking or, you know, eating lunch outside six feet apart, I can see that those siblings and that, that family dynamic and connection is something special. Like something as special is happening because of the circumstances that probably wouldn't have happened. Kid, brothers and sisters would not have been growing as close in a way. And that makes me really hopeful. Like I'm encouraged to see that and see siblings uh, finding friendship and connection and love during this time that is pretty difficult for them. Do you have anything, Jeremy? So I have an eight-month-old daughter, and it's really, it's sad right now that we're social distancing because she's at an age of total trust and curiosity and wonder. She wants to hug everyone. She wants to play with (laughs) everyone. She wants to meet everybody. So we take her in the car, and she's waving out the windows. We go on our, our stroller walks, and she wants, someone goes by, and she screams, strains her neck. To, to see them as long as possible. And she makes everyone smile. Um, and there's there's a lot of... <laughs> I'm, I'm learning to, to trust people by watching her interact mm. with folks. Um, and so we're really excited to get uh, closer and closer to a place where we can engage with more yeah. people um, so mm-hmm. that we can share the, the amount of love that she just has in her. Like, people talk about original sin. There's a lot of original blessing wrapped mm. up in little people that's beautiful so sweet jeremy jordan thank you for talking again this has thank been a lot you. of fun also thank you for listening if you've enjoyed our conversation please subscribe to our podcast for new episodes leave a comment rate us on itunes um, or any other platform that you get your podcast on next week we're going to bring on dr matt vandegrift from my church, Kirkwood Baptist Church here in St. Louis, Missouri, to talk more about his role as a senior pastor and how he is navigating this world. So that will be a lot of fun. We'll uh, continue to update you on that on Facebook. You can get updates there. You can see behind the scenes and upcoming podcasts of what we're doing. This is episode four. So we are halfway through our series. We hope that you've enjoyed it. We hope that you will stay with us until episode eight. If you have any questions, thoughts, concerns that you want to ask us, um, we have answers, but we don't know if they're right, but we will try our best. Um, You can write us at virtuallychurch at gmail.com, or you can leave a message on our Facebook page at Virtually Church. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you, Jeremy and Jordan, and we hope that everyone has a great week.